0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AWS Podcast. I'm Lesha here in Melbourne, Australia. Good to have you back. And I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Shane Balduccino, who's a solution architect here in our Melbourne office. Welcome, Shane. Thanks, Simon. Good to be back. Good to have you here. And we're in the same room, which is a wonderful thing. And uh, I know that you also are a podcast listener. So... Um, uh, this is going to be weird for you when you listen to yourself. Right, it's
1: going to be weird when I'm on the bike cycling
0: away. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes hearing their own voice, that's for sure. Um, so, we're going to talk about serverless IoT. We're going to talk about green grass and some other cool things. But before we get to any of the technology stuff, let's talk maybe about preventative maintenance, manufacturing, those types of things. I'm going to preface the conversation by the fact that you probably have. The world's most advanced automated self-written home, <laughs> including, as I often tell people, a garden that needs to be rebooted from time to time. <laughs> but um, but tell us about this domain and what it's all about. Yeah,
1: thanks, Simon. So look, I think often as techies, and I'm absolutely uh, something I do from time to time and try to be conscious of it, You know, we focus on the technology rather than the business outcome. You know, kind of putting the cart before the horse. In a past life, I worked for one of the world's largest food manufacturers, and these days manufacturing is a really tough business. Um I spent a considerable amount of time exposed to like SCADA or supervisory control and data acquisition systems, mess, etc. But you know, in today's ever shrinking globalized world, the odds are if it can be put in a can, it will cost far less to import than to manufacture in countries like Australia where labour is very high. So, you know, their margins are being squeezed tighter than ever. So, you know, how can companies leverage AWS to extract value and optimize, you know, their workflow? Just, you know, when we talk about DevOps, we often talk about CI, CD, and development pipelines. Well, in manufacturing, predictive maintenance, or PDM, is the talk of the town, and that comes with a maturity curve. Starting from the bottom, we usually have like a reactive. So, you know, pretty self-explanatory, you know, you run things till it fails. Yeah. And in some cases, that may be the best way of performing maintenance because the cost of failure is less than the cost of performing maintenance. Yeah. yeah. You might have moving on, you have um, preventative. So, think of your car. You might service your car every X kilometers or miles mm. or machinery every um, X hours. But if you over-service it, it's cost you money. If you underservice it, you're risking a breakdown. Yeah. Moving on, you'll have condition-based maintenance, so using a combination of sensor and usage data. But the nirvana of maintenance maturity is predictive. So you know, leveraging a combination of known rules plus machine learning, we can predict failure conditions or performance problems days, weeks, or months before they occur.
0: I think it's interesting the the concept of this automation piece because you know you mentioned CI/CD and a lot of the I guess, methods and approaches to a lot of our more sort of agile software development approaches actually are rooted in some of the more modern manufacturing approaches. So, you know, Kanban came from manufacturing, for example. So it's interesting to see the the one feeding back into the other because you're right that manufacturing has become increasingly technologically based and building with a lot more systems, a lot more software, a lot more control, some of it less well secured than others, as we know, um, particularly when it comes to SCADA systems, et cetera. But um, this ability to implement a finer-grained reactivity to what's going on in the environment is of real interest to manufacturing because the margins are so small. And if that assembly line is not working, you know, money is being lost. But also many of those components are very expensive or specialised, so you, you kind of don't want to replace it till you absolutely must have to replace it, but no later.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and six months to a year ago, we released a service called Greengrass. So, for those who aren't aware, AWS Greengrass brings local compute, messaging, data caching, and sync to connect the devices when they're not even connected to the internet. With Greengrass, you can leverage your devices' I/O, so be it digital or analog, it could be serial and so on, and you know run that on Greengrass. But you know the best part about Greengrass is it runs Lambda. So you know this mm-hmm. this not only means you can react to local events quickly without a connection to the AWS cloud, but you can run Lambda functions, you know, to provide that operational intelligence. So you could kind of think of Greengrass Simon as, you know, a software-defined programmable logic controller. It is, it's funny because we were
0: talking about before we started recording, you
1: know, you, the, the fact that you're learning C at the moment
0: and, and being a, a greybeard myself, I was laughing at that. <laughs> oh, C, I remember those days. But, um, but it is interesting how a lot of, you know, maybe we'll call it current generation or previous generation automation tooling is is using quite, quite quote-unquote, old technology and old approaches. And what Greengrass brings is kind of a cloud-native development approach that is familiar to a lot of people listening to this podcast to those uh, disconnected devices located in factories and power plants and uh, oil refineries and the like, which is so much more powerful, flexible and probably easy yeah. to get going with and because greengrass is a software component isn't it? it it runs on a variety of
1: hardware platforms but it's not a it's not a box you buy yeah so greengrass will run on both x86 and arm architectures and we list validated reference architecture in our documentation you know but to your point you know greengrass runs lambda so rather than programming c you know you're programming in python and node and other languages that are familiar you know to um our listeners yeah and, and greengrass also has a has a sort of you know Core and device connected
0: model as well, so it's not like a device. It's it's devices talking to one another and really a mesh or a network of devices that can interact in an intelligent way in a facility. Absolutely, don't have to be connected yeah. to the internet.
1: Absolutely, can run you know disconnected from the AWS cloud and being able to process locally and take actions without a connection back. Um, so you know, Greengrass really provides one piece of the puzzle here. It allows us to be able to act locally. Um, and leverage Lambda to provide some operational smarts. But it's not the full, you know, it's not the whole picture here. Mm. Having a locally connected device, you know, orchestrating our devices on the factory floor is not the whole picture. You know, it's part of a bigger, broader um, ecosystem in your environment. And that's where services like AWS Step Functions come in. So Step Functions is part of the AWS serverless platform, and it makes it easy to orchestrate functions for serverless applications. You know, if you look at your portfolio of applications today, I bet there aren't too many applications that have one function, one module, one entry point. It's probably it's common to have lots of functions, and that's where step functions comes in because it's a reliable way to coordinate the components and step through the functions of your application.
0: I think it's interesting you know, with, with step functions, one of the things that leapt out to me about it is that it's designed not just for kind of your short interactive type, you know, wait 30 second type things. It's actually designed to to have like really long wait times Mm. and potentially really long retry times too.
1: Yeah, and I'll give you an example of that shortly. But for those who aren't aware of step functions, you define your workflow as a series of steps and transitions between each step. When you start a step function state machine, you pass an input in the form of JSON and each state changes this JSON blob output, which becomes an input for the next step. So let's just say an impending failure has been detected on the factory floor. So we've got our Greengrass connected devices speaking to our Greengrass core. Either our local Lambda has detected a problem or perhaps with the tight integration of AWS, it's pushed it back through the IoT service and it's evaluated it against a known machine learning model. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, we've got a motor overheating or a vibration that we know based on our model that, based on the model we will have an impending failure, maybe two months away. Yeah. Okay, so we can now leverage step functions to orchestrate remediation for this. So you know, we might have a step function using states such as choices and weights. The step function may determine if the maintenance is going to be disruptive or not. Let's say it is going to be disruptive as you just mentioned before, we could use a wait. We could say, all right, contact the maintenance supervisor yeah. and wait for their approval. And step functions will just be in a wait state. So let's say, Simon, you're the maintenance supervisor here. Until you approve the maintenance, the step function state machine will just be in a wait state waiting for you to approve. And so we can know that you know there's
0: a workflow in train, yeah. someone
1: needs to attend to it, and if nothing happens, then nothing's going to... Nothing's going to happen. Absolutely. You know, once you have approved or denied, you know, that step function could execute another Lambda and perhaps book the job in an ERP platform. Because yeah. remember before you mentioned that, you know, keeping a lot of parts on stock is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's often not feasible to have some of those niche items there. So, you know, that could be booked into an ERP platform at a technician dispatch maintenance booked. Et cetera. Yeah, and that's
0: the interesting thing, you know. As, as much as we're automating the manufacturing process, for example, um, it interacts with the physical world, and it does take time to get parts, to get a technician to to organise an outage time on the line. I mean, you know, how does that fit into the broader picture of a a, a, um, a manufacturing cycle or a set of jobs that have to be done by a particular date? You need to intelligently fit in when the maintenance is going to take place, when the parts are available, when the technicians available, and when the line can be stopped. So there's lots of moving parts here, which is where Step Functions can help coordinate all those components. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the the things I like about what you do, Shane, is that you you don't just talk a big game. Um, You like to get your hands on the tools and build stuff. Tell us about this uh, particular demo you've built.
1: Yeah, okay. So look, as part of AWS Dev Days, about six or so months ago, I embarked on leveraging Greengrass to build a system, Greengrass and step functions based on preventative maintenance that would simulate elevators going up and down, um, running Greengrass on a Raspberry Pi 3 because Greengrass runs on x86 and ARM architectures. Uh, The demonstration leveraged our Raspberry Pis in a disconnected state, synchronizing data at times back to the AWS cloud and leveraging AWS machine learning. And upon uh, telemetry being sent from our elevators or our devices on the factory floor via the Greengrass core through the IoT service and back into machine learning, we're able to detect impending failures and then take action based on a step function orchestrated workflow.
0: So in this case, so I think from memory had three, three elevators being simulated, um, visually. So you had some nice, nice LED displays going on there as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and so you could, you could arbitrarily take uh, an elevator out of service if it was, uh, going to break down rather than having our passengers
1: stuck in the elevator. Absolutely. So not only, and a funny story, you know, you should mention this, um, about, Four or five years ago, during a late-night IT software deployment, um, in a, you know, a modern building in Melbourne, I got stuck in an elevator. And <laughs> So, this is close to your heart, this, this topic. is close to my heart. You know, for three hours, I sat there. I didn't even have a phone on me. Uh. Um, you know, waiting. I pressed a button. <laughs> Nothing. Um, an al- you know, alarm, spoke to somebody. Three hours, I sat there waiting. And a technician came on site, and he just pressed a button in an on-site panel. You know, why couldn't (laughs) this be done remotely? So with Greengrass, not only does it provide operational smarts locally, it allows that remote command and control because remember, our Greengrass has the ability to synchronize with the AWS IoT service. Yes. So our operators in their operations center, in theory... Should be able to send a message to the local device and be able to reset it or you know move it in this state.
0: Yeah. So so there's you know there's times where you want automated action to take place. And there's times here yeah, where there is some form of command and control. But you're right. That command and control isn't do drive down to building presses button on panel. I think we've maybe moved a little bit beyond that. I think so. So uh, so in building this um, this demonstration, obviously you know. Coped with a, with a bunch of challenges and learned some new stuff, et cetera. If someone's embarking on their sort of, you know, first, um, green grass project or first experience with step functions, et cetera, what are some of the, the tips you'd give them? The, the, the shortcuts they could take or just some of the, the things you learned along the way that you sort of went, Oh, that's interesting.
1: One of the tips I would give would be to look at the AWS documentation and the quick start guides for both of the services. Are you telling us to read the manual? I'm Is that telling what you... <laughs> us to read the manual. I uh, thought I could probably just quickly jump into one of these services and I ended up reverting back to the manual. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> um, look, there, the samples are very good and you know, if you have a software development background, they'll quickly get you started and you'll be able to hopefully have that light bulb moment to understand how these functions work and interact with the broader AWS ecosystem.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the other interesting things about Greengrass is because it's software-based, um, you do have a lot of choice about which devices you, you develop on and build on. Now, obviously, if you're going to be calling out your specific aspects of a, of a hardware device, a sensor, et cetera, you need to make sure it's compatible or at least similar. But certainly in, in our team, you know, we've got um, a, a bunch of Raspberry Pis around the place with hat sensors and other cool things that people are using and that that gives you a really good option in terms of what you might want to build or at least being able to demonstrate what is possible to your business stakeholders i think one of the nice things about your demonstration and it had a you know we, we had it running at the, at the dev days but also at the public sector summit as well is a number of people who came up and really wanted to kind of viscerally understand what's going on what what is happening here how is the control happening i think and you know, we struggle in software and with, with cloud talking about these concepts and interactions. They're all very abstract. And you get on a whiteboard. It's very different to stand around a bunch of essentially simulated lifts doing things and injecting faults and, and responding and then seeing the result. It's, it's a good way to get stakeholder engagement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and also whilst this was done on Raspberry Pi 3, because Greengrass runs on so many various architectures, you know, you could, Use a Raspberry Pi to quickly prototype, yeah. and then transition to a more ruggedized industrial architecture. Exactly, and it's,
0: it's a good you raise that because it, it is a really common pattern I see where
1: people sort of get
0: get the POC up, get the pilot up on just some some easily accessible. I mean, raspberry Pis are pretty low cost these days, as an example, and then consider well, what what do I want? You know, if I'm building something for a truck, um, probably not going to use a Raspberry Pi. I'm going to use something that's got good vibration resistance, etc. Or if I'm using something in an industrial setting, there are certainly many options that are they're industrial. The nice thing about Greengrass is it kind of gives you that common platform to build upon using your Lambda skills already, which most people have because they know how to code something. Um, you're kind of good to go pretty easily if you read the documentation.
1: For sure. <laughs> and, look, I think now with the recent updates uh, at reInvent with over uh, over-the-air updates and machine learning at the edge – this just makes it even easier again. Yeah,
0: it's getting more and more powerful. So it's, it's, and it is this interesting com- combination of the kind of autonomous, localized decision making and responses, but the ability to send, you know, information home for analysis and analytics where it makes sense, but also for that command and control piece to take place as well um, without having to have undue sophistication and complexity.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in IoT, we often talk about the three laws. So, you know, what you just mentioned there was really the law of economics. You know, the cost of bandwidth, particularly in Australia, is not falling at the same rate as compute and storage. So you might want to act on low value data locally and then you know upload the high value data yeah. back into the cloud for further analytics and storage. Yeah,
0: exactly. No, it's really it's look, it's an exciting time in in manufacturing and automation. I think this is a kind of the dawn of the new year, isn't it? Absolutely. Very exciting. Well, Shane, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing all that information with you. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you, Simon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, and this time in your factory, keep on building.